Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Today is March 18th, 2018. Do you know what that means? It means that yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, which isn't a big deal for an awful lot of people. But when your last name's Gilligan, you got to have a win once in a while, right? If it's not the island you trade, you know what I mean. So my dad was had a strong Irish heritage. And so just for fun, our family kind of always makes a big deal out of St. Patrick's Day. We usually, you know, kind of wear green or, or, you know, eat the corned beef and, and cabbage and all that good stuff. We do those kinds of things. And I have a couple of like shirts that I wear uh, just for St. Patrick's Day. Like this is one, it's not green, but you'll get it here in a minute. I would never wear this out in public, but I wear it around the house um, I wear it for Rhonda, and I wear it to irritate my kids. Anybody else ever do anything like that? And this, this shirt says, I wish you would kiss me. <laughs> then, I'll be home later. I got this one. I got this one just this year. In fact, the tag's still on. I haven't worn it. It's just got all these, like, shamrocks on it. This is an irritating, annoying shirt, isn't it? I didn't get a chance to wear it yesterday, but I pledged to wear it all day today, baby. So this is, uh, this is my late celebration for St. Patrick's Day. And it's just kind of fun. It's an interesting day, but we can have a tendency to forget. And I know we've talked about this before, like what the real story of St. Patrick's Day is. The, the truth is, it's not just about, you know, corned beef or, or wearing green or shamrocks or leprechauns. The truth is, Patrick was a young man who was born into great privilege in England, he was kidnapped by the Irish, who at that time would have been considered barbarians. They took him from England to Ireland. He was made a slave, and he was there for years until he had, and if you read the story, it's fascinating, a miraculous divine escape and deliverance from Ireland, went back to him, his home in England, and then when he was back in his home in England, God called him miraculously and divinely to go back to Ireland, to be a missionary to the Irish, to do what would just not make sense. Why would you be a slave, escape, and then go back? God called him to go back. And like they say, the rest is history. Patrick's influence charted the course for the Irish people. And if you've read the book, there's, there's some truth that says that how the Irish saved civilization. I happen to like that. They, they say that. Why? Because one person was willing to allow their life to go through a process that just did not make sense. Have you ever had those moments where you look at your life and you go, God, this just does not make sense? Anybody? Those moments where you ask questions and you just say, I, I don't get it because this, this isn't going the way I thought it was or this isn't as easy as I thought it would be or God, I didn't expect this to happen in a good way or a bad way. Sometimes we ask these questions. The truth is understanding life sometimes is difficult. If we're going to understand life, understanding it can sometimes be difficult. Anybody? Ever? So we're going to look at an interesting story today. In fact, if you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 14. We're going to look at an interesting story that I think will help us to consider, like Patrick's life, that sometimes our life goes in directions that we didn't expect. Sometimes we ask questions that we can't understand. Sometimes we're not sure why things are going in the way that they are. And what do we do in those moments? We're in Acts chapter 14, 
because, and if, if you've been here, you know, we, we've kind of been working our way through the book of Acts. We've kind of been for ourselves on a, on a bit of a journey. And we've not been the only ones on a journey. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, what you'll see is that you'll know that Paul, who's kind of the main character of our book right now, goes on what, what historians and theologians refer to as three missionary journeys. There's three kind of segments in the book of Acts where he goes on these trips to preach the gospel all over kind of the, the then known world, and he goes to a lot of different places. This week and next week, we're gonna wrap up his first missionary journey. And this is important for you to understand as we go through this story, because last week we left him on an island called Cyprus. What, what we're kind of skipping over today are some parts where he goes from Cyprus to a place called Pisidian Antioch. From Pisidian Antioch, he goes to a place called Iconium, and from Iconium, he goes to a place called Lystra, or Lystra. People say it in different ways. That's where we're going to land today in Acts chapter 14. It would be like if you're in Cincinnati, and you drive, and maybe you stop then in Dayton on 75, and then you kind of go up through Lima to Finley to Toledo. Does that make sense? Like, that's the journey that he's been on. Pisidian Antioch, Iconium. Now he's in a place called Lystra. As he's on this journey, this will be relevant as we go back in our story here in just a few moments. And watch what we read here. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. That's a pretty cool story. This guy who had never walked before. But it causes us to ask some questions, right? If you, if you really dig in, start thinking about this. Some of this you kind of wonder, you go, well, why, why was this guy lame? Like in the, in the big scheme of things, was it like a birth defect? Had something happened to him? Had, had his parents done something wrong? Like, like physically, had they not taken care of him in a certain sense, maybe even prenatally, or maybe even you take it, had they done something wrong that spiritually, maybe this was even punishment of some kind? I mean, we, we start asking all kinds of questions, like, why would this happen? And then you ask the question, what does it mean when the passage says, he, he looked right at Paul, and, and Paul saw that he had faith? What's that mean, to have faith to be healed? What kind of faith is that? And then let's ask this question, why that guy? Like, I'm sure he's not the only person in need of a miracle that heard Paul speak that day or any other time. Why was he the guy? Look, there's a lot of questions that we can ask that we just, we don't have an answer to. I don't have an answer to any of these things. Here's what I know when I read that, though, that God can do the miraculous for those who have faith in him. And sometimes I have to push past the questions and believe what I know to be true, that God can do the miraculous for those who have faith in him. How do I know that to be true? Because I've talked to some of you and you've told me the miraculous that God has done in your life. Because I've watched even in my own life the times when God did supernatural things that could be explained in no other way. Physical healing that's come to my body, provision and protection. I know that when we put our trust in God, God can do the miraculous. Raise your hand if you've experienced that in your life and you know what I'm talking about, right? He does that. Good, I thought it was just me, right? That's, that's true about God. But what's interesting is the fact that he does the miraculous is, is only the beginning in this story. Watch this, go, go to verse 11, Acts chapter 14. Then the crowd saw what Paul had done they shouted in the Lyconian language, 
The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Couple interesting things in this story. One thing that's unique here is so far in the book of Acts, when we've seen the, the disciples go places, they've, they've gone primarily to Jewish places. This isn't a Jewish place. This is a Roman city in Lystra. In fact, it's a very unique Roman city. At that time in history, the city was less than 100 years old. Like it had just recently been founded. So it was very heavily influenced by the Roman Empire with very little Jewish influence that we see here in this story. That's, that's important as we keep moving through this story. Now, one of the things that happens then is when they see Paul and Barnabas and Paul speaks this word to this dude and this dude stands up and is healed, which is pretty significant. He'd never walked before. He didn't have muscle strength. He didn't have bone mass. And then God restores him immediately. They watch this and go, this is supernatural. These aren't normal people. They must be gods. See, these were people that, that were attached to Roman mythology. And so the only way they knew how to explain what was supernatural was to kind of hook it back up to their story. So they assumed that Barnabas was Zeus because they could look at Barnabas and see that he was kind of in charge of the group for, for some reason, and Zeus was the head god. And they thought Paul was Hermes because Paul did all the talking. And in Roman mythology, Hermes was the messenger of Zeus, the one that would speak. He was the, he was the, the speaker. And so they said, this must be Zeus and Hermes. And we look at this and say, oh, what backwards people they were, <laughs> that they would believe something like that. Well, look, it goes even deeper for them. What, what you don't get just from a, a simple reading of scripture is that locally, in that part of the world, there was a, a legend that was attached to their mythology. Now, this isn't true, right? It was, it was a legend. It was just a myth. It was attached to their mythology. And if you're looking for it in the Bible, some of you are going to start looking. It's not there, right? It's not a biblical story. But there's a story that was attached to that part of the world that said that at one point in the past, Zeus and Hermes, those two gods, had appeared in human form, that they had come to that part of the world and when they did, they went from house to house. They went door to door, and they were dressed in a shabby human form, nothing impressive. And they would knock on doors, and they would ask people if they would give them rest and if they would feed them. And the legend says that there were a 1,000 homes that turned them away. And they finally came to the home of a, of a poor farmer named Philemon and his, and his wife, whose name was Bacchus. And when they knocked on the door... Philemon and Bacchus took them in and cared for them. And when they did, and this is a legend, right? This didn't happen, but this was what the people believed at this time. When they did, Zeus and Hermes made themselves known to them, took them up on a high mountain to protect them. And when they did, a flood came through and devastated that whole region. This was the legend that they believed. And then their little house turned into a marble temple on a high mountain. Like this is the story. So this is what these people had been taught. This is what they believed about their mythology. And if this is what they thought about Zeus and Hermes and Paul and Barnabas show up and work a miracle, wouldn't it be natural for them to think that maybe Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes come back in physical form? Does that make sense? Now they're not so simple and backwards, are they? See, they had a story. 
And when they saw something that they couldn't understand, they tried to force it and fit it into their story. The truth is, we do the same thing. We, we think of the way that we think life should be. We think of the things that we've been told, the things that, that maybe our culture or TV or our upbringing or people have said, look, this is what matters. And then even when God's doing something in our life, we try to force it into our story. Know this, we tend to idolize the things that fit our story. Because if it fits what we think it should be, especially if it's God working in some way, then we put all kinds of value on those things. I got thinking about this, and I had a conversation with a friend about this yesterday, and I, maybe that's why it just kind of stuck in my mind. I got thinking about this. Does anybody remember the TV show in the 80s called Miami Vice? Anybody? Crockett and Tubbs, are you with me? Can I get a, I guess not an amen, but you know what I mean, right? I mean, I love that show so much so that I thought I should dress like those guys. It's, it's not funny when you look back. Pastels and weird jackets and I, I couldn't not wear socks, but you know what I mean. It was like that was happening, and that was, that was who you had to be. That was what you were supposed to look like. That was, at that, at that point in time in my life, my upbringing, I thought that was where value was because that was the story that I was told of what matters. You had to look like that. And I go back, and I look at some of those pictures, and I say to myself, burn them. Just get rid of them. I don't want any evidence that that ever happened. But in that moment... That was the story that I heard. And that's where I thought value was. We do that in our lives too. In fact, a lot of times we think that if God's going to bless us, then he has to do it in the way that people around us say blessing looks like. We attach it to other people. We attach it to prosperity. We attach it to success. We attach it to things that we want God to fit our story. He, he has to be like us, what we think it should be. And what happens is that oftentimes we start to worship the miracle instead of the miracle worker. Like we want what God can do for us instead of who he is. And this is exactly what's happening in this story, right? They, they just want to get the power that's there. And so they immediately try to worship Barnabas and Paul. They put their trust in them. Here's a little word of wisdom. It is deceptive to put our trust in people instead of God. It's easy. We can see it. We like that. But anytime you put your confidence in another person, instead of putting your confidence in God, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Watch what happens next. Acts chapter 14, verse 14. It says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. They said, look, we're not gods. There is one true God. And even yet, they wanted to force this thing, to fit this thing into their story of what they thought it should be. And, and so Paul and Barnabas say something. I love this line that they use. There. They said, look, we are only human. Have you ever used that line? Look, 
I know you expect a lot out of me, out of me, but I'm only human. We usually say that in a defensive way. We usually say it to try to like get out of doing the dishes. Can I get an amen, right? Look, I do it, but I'm only human. I just, you know, we say it in a defensive way. What Paul and Barnabas are saying, and they're saying it with passion, right? Because it says that they tore their clothes. In ancient times, especially in Judaism, this was a practice that if you were responding with deep grief, you, you would rip your garments. And, and you'd say, look, I'm only human. I'm not God. There is a God. And you need to know about him. They, they want them to see that there is a real God, a loving God, a God who, who deserves their attention because he made everything. And not only that, he loves them deeply. You, you hear this in what Paul says to them, and yet they want to force it into their own story. They, they want it to be their God and not the true God, which I think we do so often, right? Let's go back to the question we asked earlier. Let's go back to the scenario of St. Patrick. Let's go back to those times where you go, life just does not make sense. What are you prone to do? Well, in those times, one of the things that I'm prone to do is if I don't like how it's going, I have a tendency to kind of want to dismiss God or kind of push him out of the way or, or push what he thinks is best out of the way. Or, and I've had several people tell this to me recently, I'm frustrated with God. I'm angry at God. I'm disappointed with God. And in those moments, our tendency is to go, this doesn't fit my story, so God, I'm, I'm pushing you out of the way. Or what we do is, is we try to shape God into our story. And instead of really thinking about the, what the Bible says or what's truth, we go, well, well God's not like this. How, how many times have, have you heard or maybe even thought, well, a loving God would, or if God really loves us, he wouldn't. Because the, the things that you might be facing or you're watching other people face, you look at and you go, that just doesn't, that doesn't fit my story. And so that same struggle that they had in, in Lystra 2,000 years ago is a struggle that many of us still face today, and we get to this crossroads. You see it here with the people where they're hearing the truth from Paul and Barnabas, and they have to decide what to do with it. It's in that moment that, that a curveball kind of steps in. Watch this, Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and won the crowd over. Let's, let's stop for a moment. We're, we're back to where we began, right? Paul's been on a journey. He started in Cyprus, then he went to Pisidian Antioch, which we just heard about, then he went to Iconium, which we just read about, before he came to Lystra. It would be like saying, then some people from Lima and Finley rolled up to Toledo, right? It's, it's this journey. And so these people from out of town, and what's, what's good to know, we'll see this in just a moment, these are people from out of town who have already dismissed Paul and Barnabas. In fact, they pushed them out of their towns. They told them to get out of here. Paul and Barnabas had to leave for the sake of their own lives. These people show up now in Lystra, right in the middle of this scene. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. That's an interesting story. 
Like part of this that gets me is that they stone him, right? That's a brutal public execution. They drag him out of the city. They leave him there. They think he's dead. The disciples come around him and he just pops up. That's, that's something that we don't know what happened. Like, like, was he dead and God healed him? Was he injured and he had to recover? Did they pray and then that's what happened? We don't know what happened. We, we just know this. It looked like he was dead and then God brought him back to life again. Something that's important to see here. If you were here last week, you know we talked about spiritual victory. We talked about the fact that, that when, when Paul and Barnabas faced opposition, Paul spoke a word of prophetic truth and the tide turned and they won in the moment. Does anybody remember that? Like it was this, this beautiful thing. Now, then they go to, right, from Cyprus. We're talking about the journey up 75, right? From Cyprus to Pisidian Antioch. Pisidian Antioch, they get kicked out. They go to Iconium. In Iconium, they get kicked out. Now the people from those two places come to Lystra and beat him up and leave him for dead. Does that sound like victory? <laughs> not always. Get this. Don't be surprised by opposition. Look, it's not the first time we've said it in the book of Acts. It won't be the last time as we watch this story. But I want you to see this because we get discouraged way too quick. That when, we are, when we're moving forward in what God has for us, there will be opposition. Life comes with it. Faith comes with it. Raise your hand if nothing bad has ever happened to you. Yeah, that's what I thought. right? Because it's all of us. We, we all face opposition. And yet this story reminds us that God is still there. Saul was left for dead and was back to life. Remember, sometimes we win only after it seems that we have lost. There are times when we win only after it seems like we've lost. And yet, we've got this crazy story. Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra, and there's a miraculous healing. That's good. And then they think, that they're gods, Zeus and Hermes, and that's bad. And so then Paul has an opportunity to preach the gospel to them, and that's good. But then they still want to worship them, and that's bad. And then the bad guys roll in from out of town, and that's even worse. And then they stone him, and that's bad. And then Paul comes back to life, and that's good. This is a crazy story, isn't it? This isn't the worst part. The worst part, to me, the saddest part of this whole story is the last sentence when it says that Paul and Barnabas left. They're gone. Right there in Lystra, they, they had these individuals who were introducing them to the power of God, who had been sent there as agents of God's grace, who were there to give them the truth about forgiveness and about freedom and about life, to give them the most important information that they could ever hear. And instead, you know what the people said? They said, you leave. They tried to kill him. Paul and Barnabas left. And when they were gone, for those people, the opportunity to experience God's grace went with them. That's, that's a sad story. And there's a reality here that I don't want you to miss, that when you dismiss God's presence in your life, you miss out on gifts of his grace. When, when you try to push God away, when you, when you do nothing but resist something, when you try to force him into your story, you miss out. Now, I'm not saying that you miss out completely on God's grace, because God has amazing grace. Aren't you glad for that? But there are things in the moment that he might want to do in your life, 
And that when you dismiss him and you push him away, you miss out on the gifts of God's grace. Who were these people that rolled into town? These Jews from, from Antioch and Iconium? I can tell you who they were. The, the people that thought Paul and Barnabas were gods, they had no idea what the Jewish scriptures were. But these guys that rolled into town, the bad guys from, from Finley and Lima, I hope you're not from Finley and Lima, sorry about that. But the bad guys that rolled into town, they were Jews. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Jewish scriptures. And when Paul came to their town, they didn't like it because Paul was threatening their leadership. Paul was changing some things that they didn't want to see change. Paul was putting at risk the power that they had. And when he did, they fought against him. Here's why we are threatened by what we do not expect. When things catch us off guard, when it's not the way that we want, we're threatened by those things. A couple weeks ago, I was... Uh, you, you know that out in the atrium, there's that, there's that bridge that kind of connects the two sides of the building. Do you know what I'm talking about? That, that, that walkway that's kind of up above. All our offices are upstairs. And so I was walking across the bridge. I was going from one side to the other. And I had this important email. And I had and just seen it come in. And so I was trying to read it. And I'm walking. For the record, don't, don't text and walk. All right? It's just a, just a good thing. And so I'm walking doing this. And I had no idea that one of our staff members, and I won't mention Gail's name because I don't want to throw her under the bus, but she was coming the other direction. I never saw her there. And she decided not to let me know that she was coming. She decided to walk straight towards me. And when I finally saw her, and I can't fully remember because I think I went unconscious for a second. I think, I think she, she just did something real super like just go boo or something like that. And she scared me to death. Like, I'm lucky I didn't jump right over that bridge or throw her over the bridge or something. Like, I was just scared to death. I put my dukes up because when something comes that you don't expect, it threatens you, right? In fact, this is no joke. I woke up the next morning. I'm like, why is my neck sore? It's because I, my whole body went into, I was going to take her out, right? Because that's what happens. Sorry if you're here, Gail. We love you. But here's the deal. When something comes that threatens you, you don't expect it. You respond with a pushback because we push back what we do not like. And let's just be honest. Life sends an awful lot of things that we do not like. And so we push back against these things. The people in Lystra that thought the apostles were gods pushed back because it didn't fit their story. The people in the other cities, the Jewish people, who didn't like that Paul and Barnabas were trying to change things up on them, pushed back because they, they did not want to see them lose what they had. Look, when we push back against God, we miss out on the gifts of his grace. And you'll see this. I, I challenge you to read chapters 13 and 14 for yourself because we've skipped all kinds of stuff. In fact, in chapter 13, Paul preaches this classic sermon on what the gospel is. And we've kind of missed this, but he talks about God's grace. And I want you to see just a little bit of that sermon because when he brings it down to the very close and he's talking to these Jewish people, right? This is, this is two cities back. This, this is back in Lima, right? He's, he's preaching to them there. And as he's preaching to them, listen to what he says because he does not want them to miss this. And, and can I say this? Don't listen to my words here. Some of you need to listen to, to God's words through Paul. He says this in Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care 
that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. There's something beautiful there. And Paul just so clearly says to the people, look, there's a, there's a forgiveness that's there for you in Jesus. Look, there, there are for many of us, maybe in the past or maybe right here today, things in our lives that hang like a cloud over us, that follow us around like a, like a heaviness because of what we've done or what's been done to us in the past. And Paul says to them, look, you don't have to live with that that there's forgiveness and there's freedom. And it's not because of anything you did, it's because of what Jesus did. Look, we, I, I don't wanna fast forward on Easter, but just, just so you'll know when you get here, this is how the story ends, right? Jesus dies, but he dies on a cross because he loves you and for your sins. He pays the price so that you can have that forgiveness that Paul talks about. And then he not only dies, but he lives again because then that life comes to us and it helps us not just live today, but it gives us hope for the long term, for the future, for eternity. And Paul says to them, this is beautiful. And I say to you, because some of you, whether you're in this room or you're watching on a screen somewhere, you need to hear this, that there's hope and there's freedom and there's forgiveness and you don't have to pay a penny for it. Jesus paid the price. And it's available to you. And you can receive that. It's beautiful. And then Paul says to this Jewish audience who knows the Old Testament scripture. That's important. Don't check out on this. He says to this Jewish audience who knows the Old Testament scripture, here's a warning. Don't forget what the prophets said. And then he quotes something from the Old Testament. What he quotes comes from a, a prophet named Habakkuk. Sometimes some will call him Habakkuk, and, and you can argue over lunch over which one it is. I'm not sure. But Habakkuk lived 600 years before Paul, 600 years or so before Jesus. And he was living in, in Judea, in Jerusalem. And at that time, that part of the world was a mess. 600 years before Paul, the king in Judea was incredibly corrupt. And the religious system was thoroughly broken, and the morality was horrible. And Habakkuk was a very righteous man, and he was looking at what was happening in the world around him. And if you read the, the, the short book of Habakkuk, you'll see this. He and God have a conversation. God and this, and this guy Habakkuk have this conversation. And when they do, Habakkuk's not happy because he's saying, God, what's happening doesn't fit my story. God, what's happening, I don't like, so I want to push against it. God, what's happening in my life, I don't, I don't see where there's any happy ending or how I can handle it. And so in, in verse 2, the, the first verse of Habakkuk is just kind of like this introduction. In verse 2, he gets real honest with God. Listen to what he says, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, 600 years before Paul, 600 years before Jesus. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? but you do not listen. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Isn't that a good line? The law is paralyzed and justice never prevails the wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. 
yes or no, Habakkuk is a happy guy. He's not a happy guy. And he spells it out. He says, God, I'm ticked. This is not good. What does God say? Watch this, Habakkuk, chapter one, verse five. God speaks to him and says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Habakkuk, I, I'd tell you, but you wouldn't believe it. But I'm gonna do something through this situation, the one that doesn't fit your story, the one you're pushing against, I'm gonna do something through this that is gonna blow your mind. Have you ever had a moment where you look back in your life and said, boy, I wouldn't believe that was gonna happen? Anybody? You ever had those times where you thought, man, this, this is gonna go a different way, and then you see how God takes it, and you look back and you go, God, a couple of things. God, I can't believe that you did that. You also say to yourself, boy, I'm glad I didn't know that on the front end. You ever had that happen? because I wouldn't have signed up for it if I knew what was gonna happen. And so God says to Habakkuk, who doesn't like his story, right? He says to him, Habakkuk, I'm telling you, I'm gonna do something that you wouldn't believe even if I told you now. And so Paul, 600 years later, when he's talking to the people in, and this is in Pisidian Antioch, right? He's talking to these Jewish people. He says, Jesus brings forgiveness and Jesus brings freedom and Jesus brings his grace. Paul then says this, Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. He quotes that verse and says, look, I know that this is outside of your story. I know that this is hard for you to believe, but God says, if you'll trust me in this, I will blow your mind. What's interesting is in the very first verse of the book of Habakkuk, it says that he was given a, a prophecy or an oracle, which in the Hebrew is the same word for burden. Have you, ever, have you ever had something that you felt like you needed to say so urgently, you just had to say, we use the phrase, I just have to get this off my chest. You ever been there? Anybody? Just me, praise God, right? You know those moments? The prophet says, I just gotta get this off my chest. Can I tell you as I think about this, I feel like I just, for some of you, I just gotta get this off my chest. Habakkuk had no idea the deliverance that God was bringing. It wasn't easy, it was actually painful and difficult, but at the end, he looked at it and said, God, I could not imagine anything better than what you did. St. Patrick's life was a wreck, and yet God used him. You can literally trace it back and say, God used him to mark civilization. Paul stood before these people and said, look, this doesn't fit your story, but I'm telling you, if you will trust God, he can change everything. Look, God will use his surprising ways to bring you life you did not expect, but you have to trust him. The saddest part of this story is that in city after city, because they didn't like it, they pushed Paul and Barnabas away. Can I ask you, Please don't push God away in your life. Instead, I challenge you, embrace his grace. Embrace what he wants to do in your life. It might not be easy, but when you open yourself up, when you trust a God who says, look, I'm telling you, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And you might have to get past your story. You might have to get past your, your preconceived ideas, but if you will, 
through God's grace, there is blessing there if you'll just open yourself up to it. When I was a kid, like all through high school, really, to be honest, I was a, I was a pretty picky eater. Like there were just certain things that I, I liked to eat and I didn't experiment much outside of that. And so if people said to me, hey, do you, you want to eat some Chinese food? My typical answer was, I'm Irish. <laughs> right? I'm not going to eat Chinese because I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that is. I like sweet but not sour, so why would you put the two together? Right? That was kind of how I thought. And then I remember when I went to college, you know, Rhonda was kind of like, well, hey, do you, you want to you get some Chinese food? And, and I'm like, well, I don't, I, I'm Irish. I wouldn't eat that. And she basically just said, eat it, right? And tried it. Can I just give you a word of truth? I know what I'm having for lunch today. Sweet and sour chicken. Why? Because when I got past my own story, when I pushed past things that I didn't like or didn't think I liked or were unfamiliar to me, and I opened myself up to that, I found a blessing in my life that makes me say hallelujah. <laughs> Chad, are you saying that God's grace is like sweet and sour chicken? No. I'm just saying that sometimes the way that we respond to God's work in our lives is like um, immature, ignorant, selfish, rebellious me who, who said, because I can't make sense of this, I push it away. When instead so many times God says, look, if you'll just embrace my grace, I know it doesn't make sense, but I'm telling you, I, I want to do something in your day that if I, if I spelled it out for you now, you just, you wouldn't even believe it. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Why? Be, because I want you to just be honest with yourself in this room or if you're watching on a screen somewhere. Pastor John's just going to lead a simple song that, that we sing around here from time to time that, that, that says, Lord, you can have it all. And, and maybe today's the day when you need to say, God, I know what I'm going through right now doesn't fit my story, but it's yours, God. You can have it. Or maybe you're saying, God, I'm, I'm tired of pushing against you, so Lord, it's, it's yours. Maybe there's something in front of you that's, that's awesome. Maybe it's a great thing, but you wonder, can I handle this? It's a great day to say, Lord, I give it all to you. And as we sing this song, would you allow his peace to come to our lives? Would you entrust him with your situation? And would you believe in a God who says, I'm doing something in your life today that if I told you, you wouldn't even believe it. Every part 
Today's a good day for more than just um, singing a song, but it's to respond in a very practical way. We're going we're to sing that chorus one more time, and, and as we do, if you today would say, God, whether it's an incredible opportunity or a devastating season, and you've just got to say, God, it's, it's yours. I trust you with this moment in my life to do something that, that I just wouldn't even believe if I knew. If that's you, would you just stand right where you are? Maybe even maybe put your hands in a posture of just surrender and receiving from the Lord. But just to say, God, I trust you. Lord, I don't fully understand it. I, I don't know everything that's happening or, or everything that maybe you're doing. But God, in this moment, I trust you. It might not fit my story. It, it might, might even feel a little bit threatening to me. It might be more than I can handle. But God, in this moment, I say, I put my trust in a God who affirms that if you'll look to me in your day, I'm going to do more than you would ever even believe. Let's sing that again. Lord, you can have it all. Oh, you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world. Won't you take this life and bring This heart that is now yours. You can have it all, Lord. Oh, you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world. Won't you take this alive and bring This heart that is now yours. Holy Spirit, What's, what's so significant about the, the work you do through your word is that you know how to get right to each one of our lives. Lord, you know exactly the place where we need an assurance from you that says that you're with us, that we can trust you, that we can put our hope and our confidence in you. And so, Lord, today in this moment, Lord, in a, in a moment of surrender, we say, God, you can have it all. Lord, it's all yours. We trust you, and we look forward to the things you're going to do as we put our lives in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, if, if today was one of the first times that you've ever prayed a prayer of commitment to the Lord, I'd ask that you would pick up a, a card that looks like this. It says, I have decided... They're at the, the racks as you walk out of the auditorium. Take that to our Connection Center. We'd love to pray with you there. Have a Bible we want to give to you. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. Go in his special favor and wonderful peace.